previously on Burger Bites. My mom hated the Dan England thing. She hated that when oh, I no. when I pretended to cry. She thought she thought he was literally dead. She oh my gosh! Dead. My dad thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> they literally. My dad was like googling Dan England. <laughs> you were taken for the playoffs way too soon. Was googling info no. about what happened she was trying to figure it out and they're like you did that for too long and i was no. like okay she was wait wait she was popping pieces back home in buffalo scouring the internet yeah daniel england's obituary are you trying to figure out what happened yeah oh my god and i and i and i said i said i was joking she's like well we thought you were serious i was like so my fake crying was authentic so so the acting was good okay but your own she was like, mother. Was, she's like i know she did not like that she did not like it at all oh. and then like as i'm filming the next one she's like it's not going to be something stupid like the last one is it and i was oh. like no <laughs> hey. mr burger Burger Bites is recorded on location in Ozark, Missouri and presented on Anchor. The views expressed on Burger Bites are not necessarily those of the staff and ownership of the Grip and Rip Baseball League. Enjoy the show. It's been a while since I aided my good buddy Rob Neese in inadvertently announcing the death of his former teammate Daniel England, forever sullying my name in East Amherst, New York. The four-time Howard Bell Trophy winner and the manager of the Moon City Mavericks baseball club is still with us. He throws the heaviest fastball I've ever caught, and I've got the bruise on my palm to prove it. Daniel England is perhaps the unlikeliest of the six active managers in the Grip and Rip Baseball League. And that makes him interesting and likable straight away. He's got a really interesting backstory to tell, but we're going to get it started by clearing up what you heard in the show intro from a classic episode of Nieces Pieces and episode five of this very podcast. So to start things off, Daniel England, you know, we have to address a rumor that was perpetuated on this show. True or false, Daniel England is still alive. Uh, Definitely alive. (laughs) Definitely. So, you know, what did you think when it became canon on this podcast all the way back on episode five to hear that Rob Neese's mother had thought you had died as if a consequence of the Mavericks being eliminated from the playoffs was capital punishment for the manager? Yeah, he, he sent me a, um, a Facebook message telling me that story. And I thought it was quite funny that um, somebody would actually think that that this is that serious that, you know, our losing in the playoffs was was the end of Daniel England on the planet. Not to bring up bad memories, but let's go back to that game. You know, every Mavericks game all season long was close. So that first round of the playoffs, it's it's no exception. You and the Knicks of Suckers go to extra innings. You know, what are your what were your big takeaways or you know, what are the big memories uh from that game for you? Well, you know that um that game the biggest memory was uh, Caleb Cole getting hurt. And I think it, that may have been the, was that the top of the ninth or the bottom of the eighth? I can't remember, but he came out of the box and pulled his hamstring. And 
I knew at that point that, that we were finished. <laughs> I had the thought in my mind that if we win this game, Caleb's not going to be able to play. And what are we going to do? And, you know, how are we going to fill his shoes? And I just thought that that was an omen that it was, it was probably going to be the end of our season that day. And that's the way it ended up. Well, so since that time, I know you've been working out and training. You know, I've seen you working out at Cy Sports. So, I mean, you're not putting yourself out to pasture. You're, you're very much keen on uh, being a player and a manager in this league. Well, yeah, to some extent. You know, last season, first of all, I didn't know that we were going to have a season. Uh, second of all, I didn't know if we had a season, if I would participate in the season. And so once the season was announced and I, I was in no way ready to play at all, I hadn't done anything. I'd been in, you know, been at home since, since March. I didn't go to the gym. I didn't, you know, I just, I just did very small things on my own, just some jogging and, you know, I walked a bunch, but nothing to get myself in baseball, baseball shape. So yeah, I was, I was not ready for that season. So I don't want that to happen again this season. And so I, I'm getting ready and in hopes that I can be in game shape when next season runs around. Prior to 2020, had you ever had any experience as a baseball manager or, or as a serious sports coach? <laughs> no. The only coaching or managing I had done is I coached my daughter's soccer team at Carver when she was sixth through eighth grade. So that was, you know, just strictly a volunteer they needed somebody to coach. And so I did it the three years that my oldest daughter was at Carver. So that, no, that that's it for coaching. So what about experience just leading or managing people? Well, I was, um, I don't have a lot of experience with that. When I was in the, the army reserves, I was the, um, I was our section leader. And so that's, you know, I, I would develop some, uh, some training sessions for when we had the weekend drills and, but you know, that that's about it. I did not know you were in the Army Reserves. How long was that? I did that for eight years. So from wow. 93, 93 to 2001. So I was right after Desert Storm and right before was that Iraqi Freedom or whatever it was. So, yeah. Let's go back to talking about a little soccer. You know, I know you grew up in Springfield. I heard about some of your athletic exploits, but, you know, what different sports were you involved in as a kid growing up? Well, growing up, I played baseball, basketball, and soccer, you know, just in season as they, as they came. <laughs> in eighth grade, uh, Jarrett started a, their first middle school soccer program, and so I participated in that. And just so happens that uh, Ethan Bryan was a seventh grader at that time, and uh, <laughs> he was on that team. And I honestly don't remember that except for him telling me about it. So, and after that, I played four years at Parkview. And that was about it. I had, you know, I had a couple offers um, at that time. Lincoln University and Jeff City had a men's program, and um, Central Methodist University is that the ones in Fayette? Yeah, they contacted me, but I had no interest in playing soccer in college. I, I wanted to play baseball. Uh, and, and you were a goalkeeper, right? Yeah, yeah, I was a goalkeeper. At least Ethan makes you out to have been just just as good as you know Tim Howard or or Tony Miolo <laughs> or any any American goalkeeper ever was. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, I, I was decent. I enjoyed it. I liked to I liked to be goalkeeper, and it was it was good. And you know, after um, after high school and 
there was uh, Lake Country Soccer, and we played a little indoor soccer, and that was that was fun too. But yeah, I've always I've always been a goalkeeper. So when did you know you mentioned wanting to play baseball? When did a seriousness about baseball really start to develop for you? As far as taking the game serious, probably never, and that's why I never went any further than I did. You know, I started playing baseball when I was four years old. George Brett was my idol. My dad coached me my entire, up until I started playing high school baseball. My dad was always my coach. Um, never played traveling baseball or any of that. And so and I played four years at Parkview and really nobody from my team at Parkview went on to play college baseball. One guy, uh, I think went down to Magnolia, Arkansas. Is that Arkansas? It's not Arkansas State, but Anyway, there's a there's an Arkansas University down in Magnolia, and he went down there to play. And so nobody, I wasn't recruited. My family, my dad and my grandparents are from Neosho, which is where Crowder is. So we just thought it logical to go down there and talk to the coach. He allowed me to walk on. So I did all the summer, all the summer workouts leading up to the, um, the start of school. And it was not fun. It was something that I had never experienced, college-level baseball. And I didn't find it to be to be any fun. So I, I decided not to participate. And that was the end of it. <laughs> so you decide not to play college baseball. You know, at that point, uh, you know, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have a plan as far as continuing your education? I had always known that I wanted to be a police officer. And I'd, I finished at the semester at Crowder. And then I came back to MSU. And at that time, they did not have a... Um, criminal justice program. So um, I was in the teaching uh, field just to get a degree. You know, that didn't pan out. And so I actually dropped out. And that's when I joined the reserves. All right. So then what was the next step to get serious about becoming a law enforcement officer? Well, I came back once I got done doing all my my basic training and, and um, advanced training. I came back. I was working at Dillon's at the time, Dillon Supermarket, and I knew Drury had a had a criminal justice program, and they also had a program in the evening, which appealed to me. So I went over to Drury and I enrolled in the criminal justice program over there and did the evening school, and I graduated in uh, 96 or 97 with my criminal justice degree. So then what happened? Well, I, um, you know, I basically drew a circle on a map around Springfield of about 200 miles and I sent out applications to every large city within that circle. Kansas City was one of the first where I tested, and I really thought I was going to get hired on to Kansas City. I was really excited for that, and it just didn't happen. And I didn't find out till later why. And at the time, Kansas City was uh, really only interested in hiring people who had some prior law enforcement service so they could shorten the academy and not spend as much money training officers. So. I wound up in Little Rock, and so I worked out in Little Rock as a police officer for six years. You heard Daniel England mention his former junior high teammate, Ethan Bryan. If you're familiar with this show or with Grip and Rip Baseball, you know Ethan Bryan from the Cy Sports Cyclones and most recently from playing for the champion Ozark Mountain Ducks in 2020. You may or may not know him as Mr. Catch365. If you head on over to ethanbryan.com, that's ethan, B-R-Y-A-N.com, you can follow Mr. Catch365's blog and read about how he hopes to catch hope 
in 2021. You can also read a little bit about another supporter of the podcast, Rube Bats. If you haven't checked out Ethan's book, A Year of Playing Catch, I can't help but recommend you order a copy and follow the story of play, hope, and inspiration about one man who followed a crazy dream of playing catch every day for 365 consecutive days. Find a year of playing catch wherever books are sold. Ethan Bryan was a 2020 nominee for the Casey Award, which is like the National MVP Award for books about baseball. He's also looking for opportunities to barnstorm his story wherever an audience might be willing to hear it. Check it out at ethanbryan.com and catch some hope in 2021. Daniel England caught some hope when he moved to Little Rock, Arkansas to ride a bicycle in pursuit of his dream job, police officer. What kind of work were you doing? Did you have things that you specialized in as a law enforcement officer in Arkansas? No, I was always just on patrol. Right out of the academy, I was assigned to the downtown patrol division, and uh, that's where I wanted to be. That was the, you know, that was the most exciting district to be in division. And so I started out on overnights. Then I went to three to eleven, and then I got to to day shift. And um, then at the end, I was um, I did community oriented policing. I was a bicycle police officer for about the last two years. There was a small unit of about five bicycle officers and we handled all the downtown area. We didn't really respond to calls for services. We carried pagers at that time and all the businesses had our pager number. And so if they had a problem, they would just page us. And maybe one or two of us had cell phone back then, but I didn't. But yeah, they would just page us and we would we would show up. Now, were you settling down and starting a family as this was happening or were you living that well, bachelor life? I, no. My now wife, she and her daughter went down to Little Rock with me and um, we got, let's see, Kyla was I think four at the time. So it was a couple years before she started school. So we were in Little Rock for a couple years and then we actually moved out to Jacksonville, Arkansas with the Air Force bases about 30 minutes outside of Little Rock and, and that's, that's where we settled and um, we got married and Julie and I got married in 2000. And um, it was three years later that I left and came back to Springfield. So, yeah, we actually got married in Springfield and we live in Little Rock. So that was kind of interesting. So was there, you know, any big particular reason for, you know, leaving the Little Rock Police Department or just a, an opportunity to come home? No, I was, um, Little Rock was getting a new chief of police. There were going to be some pretty major changes in the way that assignments were handed out. I was probably going to lose my day shift gig. I wasn't really interested in going back to three to eleven or or overnights. So, I'd actually started. I went back to college. I was working on getting prerequisites to get into a radiology program here in Springfield. I was going to, you know, do X-ray tech and stuff like that. So, <laughs> and then my dad called me one day and said, "Hey, the Federal Public Defender's Office in Springfield is hiring," and uh, he sent me the post. I had about two days to get a resume and uh, get it back to him. So luckily they, they hired me and we were able to come back to Springfield. My wife's from here and my family's all from here. So it was logical just to come back. So yeah, what did it feel like to uh, to come home and, you know, not just start a new job, but start a, you know, kind of a new professional venture with that move? Uh, it was interesting. We lived, we lived with my mother-in-law for a while until we purchased a house and it was definitely different. Um, I'd never really been a desk jockey. And so it was, it was a whole lot different than 
ride around in a patrol car all day, kind of doing what you want, or ride around on a bicycle all day doing what you want. So, um, you know, coming in at eight and leaving at four thirty, and it was definitely interesting. And then, of course, the different type of work. Um, I went from, you know, arresting criminals to defending them. So it was a big change, but I enjoy it. So yeah, give us a just a snapshot of of the work that you do as as best you can with the the federal public defender. Oh, it's it's so varied. So I do I do a lot of client um, interviews. Most of our clients are in custody, so that's that's done at jails. So Green County Jail, Christian County Jail, St. Clair County Jail, Federal Medical Center. You know, I talk to clients' families. I gather records. Um, I do witness interviews just any task that the attorney needs done in the, you know, preparation of the defense of, uh, of their clients. So it's, there's so, there's so many different things. At least in my experience as a journalist in this area, a lot of the cases that I cover involving U S marshals arrest are usually drugs or, or something that involves the U S postal service and, packages going across state lines, but, you know, is that the bulk of your cases or are you much more uh, spread out and just in terms of the range of the work? Yeah. So we, we handle any federal offense that occurs in the Western district of Missouri in the Southern division. And so we basically go from Rolla down to Arkansas to the border. And then um, basically, I guess, Rolla back to the West. So yeah, we handle gun charges, any felon in possession of firearms. We do some post office cases, a lot of postal theft. You get a lot of postal employees that will steal checks or money orders or gift cards out of mail. We'll do that. Because we have the Federal Medical Center, we handle all of the med center uh, people. And there's a lot of um, our clients over there. and They're they're mentally ill because they're hospitalized. And so we have to handle all their, their issues. A lot of child pornography cases and um, a lot of drugs. Yeah, it's, it's about the bulk of it. And I would imagine after dealing with that all day, it's it's good to find some outlets or just some way to just compartmentalize that. I mean, it's got to be yeah, tough. It is. It's, um, you know, some tougher than others. Yeah, you just, you just have to find a way to, to leave leave that aspect of your life with the work and, and come home and do something else, whether, you know, I'll go out and walk or ride a bike or play baseball. And so that's, it's a good outlet. Speaking of playing baseball, how did you come to find grip and rip baseball back at its inception in 2016? Oh man, that's a long story. So, <laughs> so I, I, it's about two or three years after I started at the federal defender's office, our office hired Ian Lewis as an attorney and Ian Lewis is the brother of Tony Lewis. And so I didn't know Tony very well and I didn't know Ian until we hired him. Um, I did know the oldest brother, Alex Lewis. Uh, we've played against each other. He was at Glendale as a part of you. So anyway, one day Ian Lewis tells me, Hey, my brother's going to start this men's baseball league. And, you know, we had all these conversations about it and, you know, we talked about what it's going to look like and just speculated, you know, how it's going to go and will guys try out and will it actually get going? You know, Ian assured me that his, his brother had everything lined up and uh, it was going to go. And sure enough, it did. And the tryout date was announced and I showed up. Next time on Burger Bites, Daniel England has a tryout story that has me absolutely shook. I didn't know anybody but Tony 
So I'm looking for somebody to play catch with, and I find Andy Galley. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You can go back and listen to Burger Bites episodes 25 and 27 to get a better feel for exactly what Daniel England walked into when he met Andy Galley. But he'll tell the whole story in an upcoming episode. If you're a grip and rip baseball historian or you just want to laugh, you will not want to miss it. That's next time. And until then, I'm Rance Berger wishing you good night from Ozark, Missouri. Mm-hmm.